It is now time for this week's edition of the Port Authority, starring Ben Portnoy with the Sports Business Journal. You might know him better from his time with the state newspaper covering the Gamecocks. Now he covers the world. The world of sports, the world of business, how they mesh, and how they sometimes, uh, I don't know, sometimes they work well together and sometimes they blow up. Ben, how are you? It's great to have you with us once again. Yeah, what's going on, guys? Appreciate you having me, as always. Last week, you were up at uh, Penn State, Penn State in Michigan. What was that experience like? You know, it's funny. Like, now that I'm traveling a little bit more outside of the SEC and and seeing a few new places, it's been really fun to kind of be able to compare and and contrast some of the experiences I've had in in the SEC to elsewhere. But it was my first time in State College. Uh, Obviously, a rocking atmosphere. Was out there early with the uh, big noon kickoff folks and, and catching up with them, and it was a really great crowd for the pregame show for the tailgate fields. I mean, it was rocking early, and obviously it was a noon kickoff, so people were uh, people were up early and getting going. But it was uh, it was really cool. I mean, for anyone who hasn't been to Penn State College, been to Penn State, it's uh, you know a little bit of a tricky spot to get to with uh, with where it's situated, but it is as good as an atmosphere as I've ever seen and stacked up with, you know, right there at the top with, uh, with anywhere in America. I mean, it's really, really something. Yeah. And you were stepping right into the Harbaugh situation as that was being played out. Kind of that was being played out. Funny uh, that uh, he was uh, uh, there in state college uh, with the team on the tarmac when they told him he had been suspended for three games. And that suspension now has been, uh, agreed to and upheld and all that. So you had that drama going on. And then, you know, once again, Penn State coming up short in the Big Ten, James Franklin, soon after the game, fires his offensive coordinator. So you were kind of right in the middle of all of it there. Yeah, it was it, it was kind of a crazy day. You know, got into State College sort of early in the morning uh, on, I guess, what was that, Friday, uh, and was kind of waiting for things to shake out, waiting for Michigan to get there. Uh, Michigan obviously flies in. They have that kind of congregation on the tarmac, uh, and they're kind of alerted of the news of what was going on and, and that Harbaugh had, had been suspended and, you know, Michigan trying to file an injunction that they were hoping would get ruled on uh, before the game. It did not, obviously. So it, it was really interesting watching the whole thing unfold in real time because uh, I think that, you know, most of us in state college, talking with some of the other national reporters, I think, you know, most people expected that Jim was going to coach that game. Uh, obviously, that did not happen. Uh, the Big Ten kind of lined it up when, you know, you unpack some of the layers of it on a uh, it's Veterans Day on Friday. There probably aren't a too many uh, too many uh, judges around to be able to deal with an injunction on a federal holiday uh, and all of that. So the way that the Big Ten played it, there wasn't a lot of wiggle room for that kind of thing. And uh, obviously it led to Jim not coaching the game. And, you know, now it's the news coming out today that he's, uh, he's accepted a three-game suspension from the Big Ten. So uh, I don't know that this is necessarily put to rest. There's still the NCAA investigation that has to play out. That will certainly take longer. Uh, and I think the Big Ten is obviously a part of that. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that at least for the time being, barring, you know, I say this and probably something crazy, and we'll find out that Connor Stallions is at like 67 other games tomorrow or something like that. But uh, I think that, you know, for now, this is uh, slowly settling down a little bit. I think Michigan is uh, is happy to be, uh, to be playing winning football and, and also just be playing football. What about the situation there in uh, State College with James Franklin? Are people starting to get a little bit antsy there? Uh, like I said, he fired his offensive coordinator, so when coaches start feeling the heat, they start firing coordinators. 
So does that buy him a little bit more time with the fan base? Are they still understanding about his situation there and what he's trying to do? You know, James Franklin's in a really interesting spot because I think that the expectation has always been, you know, obviously the Penn State fans want them to be able to compete with, with Michigan and Ohio State. And certainly there's, they've won a couple of those games, but I think I can't remember exactly now, but I think it's James Franklin's is now is now 3-14 and 14 or somewhere in that realm uh, against Michigan and Ohio State and it's time in State College. And, you know, there's been some really competitive games, some really close calls, and, and this past Saturday was one of those, right? Like, this was a game that the Penn State defense gave them a chance. It's that the offense was just so anemic and couldn't get anything going that Michigan just kind of took the air out of the ball. I mean, ran the ball, what, 30 straight, 32 straight times, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if you don't count the uh, don't count the passing play in there that got uh, – there, there was a penalty, so it technically doesn't count in the stat sheet. So, it's uh, – I, I think that – I, I, James Franklin, look, like to be clear, James Franklin's not feeling the heat. Like he's not about to get fired, nothing like that. But I do think that there's the question of you run into a situation of okay, the Big Ten is going to get tougher with USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon joining the fold next year. Penn State's pretty clearly the number three team in the league right now, behind Ohio State and Michigan. Where do they fit in kind of this new Big Ten? I think that you know certainly Penn State fans, obviously after you know, the mess of the, the Sandusky scandal and all of that and sort of where the program was at that point due to scholarship issues and things like that um, from the NCAA and, and all of the things that came with that. You know, there's been some really low lows, and I think you get to the point of, like, it's sort of the Nebraska-Bo Pelini situation, right, when you're winning eight, nine, ten games a year and people say, oh, you should be winning more. What, what do you do? And I think that, you know, it's just kind of the reality for Penn State right now. They're a 10-win football team with some flaw, with a really great defense and a really flawed offense. And I think that, you know, Iowa's probably a similar type deal, right? Like, it, it's a team that probably has a little bit of a ceiling, but I think that people expect a little bit more of. But it's, a, it's hard to I, – I think it's really hard to look at Penn State and say, hey, we're expecting something different. Hey, we're expecting them to win this game. Um, until they really do it. And I think that that's coincided with Michigan taking a step forward. It's coincided with Ohio State taking a step forward. And I think it's just, it's made that gap really tricky. And I think this was, oh, there's a lot of folks around State College who thought this might be the team to, to close that gap a little bit. And, and obviously, you know, went 0-2 in those, uh, in for lack of a better term, kind of their two-game season. Sure. Ben Portnoy with us here, the Port Authority. Uh, you're keeping an eye on things with uh, what's left of the Pac-12, Pac-10 Pack four, pack two, whatever it's down to now, uh, and their dealings with the Mountain West and trying to uh, put together kind of a um, de facto league out there. And also they're trying to collect a whole bunch of money from those who are leaving uh, the old conference. What do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, as my uh, and my personal favorite name is the uh, two pack or Tupac, uh, yeah. and what's left of what's left of the Pac twelve. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, no, it's a, it's a pretty crazy situation. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that look at sort of what's going on and see all these course cases and injunctions, and there's a lot of legalese going on with, with the Pac-12 and, and sort of the two remaining schools and the 10 departing schools. But I, I think the super short version and the reason people should pay attention to it is that you've basically got this giant chunk of, that chunk of money, and I think the understanding from a lot of us you know, covering this was the fight was over the money post for um, and what money, excuse me, post-2023 and what that money would, what would happen with that money that was tied up in Pac-12 media deals, et cetera, bowl tie-ins, things like that. The reality is the money that's being dealt with is the money being dealt with right now for 2023. And that number 
is when you t- consider bowl games, all that. I mean, you're talking about like $400 million right now. Mm. And the two schools that are obviously left, Oregon State and Washington State, want control of that. Uh, the 10 schools that are departing say, we don't want to give Oregon State and Washington State control of the Pac-12, uh, excuse me, control of the Pac-12 board uh, because they're not going to give us any of that money. And it's turned into this really interesting fight of, okay, who controls this? And then the judge did rule last night that, that for now, the, uh, that Oregon State and Washington State will control it within reason, but that if they sort of deviate from sort of uh, the, uh, a sort of uh, play nice basically with everyone, uh, that the court might jump in and step in um, with what's going on. But I, I think that that, again, ties into the fact that if Oregon State and Washington State are sitting on this huge amount of money, it gives them a chance to kind of rebuild the league. Now, I think it was Ross Dellinger reported it today, um, that the Pac-12 and the Mountain West are, are working on a scheduling agreement that could lead to a merger down the line between Oregon State and Washington State and, and the Mountain West schools that are involved. Uh, and I think that that'll be an interesting thing to watch just because I think that you know, the complicating factor here has always been that the Mountain West, if schools were going to leave the Mountain West, it was going to cost them a, a big chunk of change for in exit fees and all of that. And would Oregon State and Washington State now armed with all this money be able to basically pay those exit fees, rebuild the league, et cetera? I don't know if there's some kind of mutually agreed upon thing where you run into a situation where instead of you know, having the Mountain West, can the Mountain West and the two remaining Pac-12 schools join and basically co-opt the the Pac-12 logoing and, and brand and all of that? I don't know. I, I think that's an interesting dynamic. I think that stuff still needs to be played out. And there's uh, certainly a lot of lawyers involved. And uh, <laughs> between between the Pac-12 and the Jim Harbaugh stuff, billable hours are uh, remain undefeated in college football. Sure. Ben, along those lines, and yes, there's still a lot more questions than answers at this point, but with next year transitioning to an expanded playoff, the 5-7 and seven model with the five Power 5 conference champions and then, what, the seven next highest ranked, whatever, will make it into the 12, is there a scenario here where there had been reports the Pac-12, specifically Washington State and Oregon State, had reached out to the Sun Belt, maybe the Mountain West, about doing kind of a quasi-independent schedule like Notre Dame does with the ACC? So those two teams would fill out their schedule with either Mountain West opponents or Sunbelt opponents or some other conference. Would there be a scenario then where the winner between Washington State and Oregon State of a quote-unquote conference championship game would get an automatic bid to each of the next two college football playoffs? Yeah, so that's a good question and, a good, and, and an interesting dynamic and, and something certainly to watch. So my understanding is it's been explained, and, and I think the college football playoff actually just passed something saying, in the last couple of days or last couple of weeks, uh, saying that for a conference to get an automatic bid to the college football playoff, it's got to be at eight teams. So barring the Mountain West and Oregon State, Washington State joining within the next, you know, basically 20 minutes, they're not, <laughs> they're probably not getting into getting in an automatic qualifier. Now that said, like you said, mentioned with the scheduling piece of it, my understanding is that that's kind of how this is going to go. That Oregon State and Washington State are basically for the next two years going to attack this like independence. They're going to schedule. A uh, handful of games with Mountain West schools, try and sort of fill in the blanks where they can fill in the blanks, play each other, obviously, and kind of go from there. And I think that, you know, you'll see them basically piece together, like you said, what amounts to functionally an independent schedule now, or kind of what Notre Dame does, where they've got, what is it, I guess, six, seven, eight uh, ACC games uh, that they play in addition to some of those other games, like they play against USC and others. So I, I think that 
you'll see some variation um, that's somewhere in between kind of what Notre Dame does and a true independent schedule. Uh, and that's the, probably the most likely situation we run into uh, probably next year. But again, I, I don't foresee them getting a uh, an automatic bid as a two-team league, which uh, would have made for really fun uh, fodder and, <laughs> and controversy, but, uh, but, but I don't think we'll be getting them, for better or worse. You know, as if college sports doesn't have enough controversies and the NCAA doesn't have enough arrows being slung their way, but now you got – James Madison and the Attorney General in Virginia now getting involved, trying to force the NCAA to allow James Madison to go to a bowl game in this year of transition when, according to the NCAA rules, you're not allowed. So who has the strongest leg to stand on here? Do you think the NCAA, which this has been, I think, a longstanding rule of theirs since the FCS was created, uh, do they do they have the, the legal authority to stop one of their own members from doing this? Or does James Madison have a real a real legal argument for saying you shouldn't be able to stop us from going to a bowl game? And I guess because they're saying, too, the bowls aren't under the auspices of the NCAA. The bowls are independent uh, uh, business operations. Yeah, so I'll start by saying that with as much as has gone on in the courts in the last like week, I swear I should have gone to law school with, yeah. <laughs> with all that's going on. But it's uh it's crazy it's definitely interesting i think it's an interesting dynamic as far as who controls what like you said the bowl games are obviously sort of outside the jurisdiction of the ncaa but sort of under it and it's this kind of strange pseudo dynamic of who actually oversees the bowls and the reality is the bowls kind of do what they want to do um with the guidance of the conferences and everything else that's kind of tied in there through contracts and things like that but as it relates to James Madison, I think we've seen this a couple of times, right? Like Jacksonville State was involved in this this year. There's been teams in, in, in recent years. I think Georgia Southern ran into this maybe a few years ago. And there's mm-hmm. there's a few others yeah. uh, that have run into this situation where they've kind of overachieved quickly and not been able to qualify for a bowl game. We saw it in the NEC uh, in basketball even last year when, when Fairleigh Dickinson got into the tournament by lo- but lost their championship game. Obviously, upset Purdue in the first round, but but had lost to Merrimack in the cha- conference title game, um, even though Merrimack wasn't eligible for the NCAA tournament. So I, I think that we've seen this, and I think the NCAA has largely stood pat, and I can understand the idea of not wanting to open a can of worms and things like that, but I, I think it also flips to the side of you look at kind of – you look at a lot of the decisions the NCAA has made in recent years, and you look at some of the, for lack of a better term, PR problems that they've had. And I think it's, again, it's one of those things that and, – and you know, I joke with, with college administrators about this all the time is like when it comes to issues of sort of quote unquote, like helping yourself, the NCAA tends to not help itself ever. And it's, it's, this, and that's not always, but it's, it's situations like this, right? Where there seems like a pretty obvious solution and I can understand sticking to your guns and that's part of it. So it is what it is, but I do think that there's an interesting dynamic of this felt like a pretty much a no brainer. You look at a James Madison team that probably that, you know, frankly may run the table, may go win the Sun Belt uh, and be undefeated and would be in a position for a New Year's six spot, if not a, if not a CFP spot. Um, and is probably not going to get that opportunity because of this, this rule that I, I think frankly is a little outdated. And I think that, you know, it's an unfortunate situation because I think this is a really, really good James Madison team. And I, and I think that, you know, I am not speaking for everyone necessarily, but I do think that, you know, they deserve a chance at that. And I think it's an unfortunate resolution. We'll see what happens in the court case. Obviously, the attorney general's involved. Uh, I have my doubts about whether there's going to be anything that actually comes of it, but I think that uh, it's certainly something to keep an eye on. All right, my man. 
Hey, great stuff as always. Remind folks to follow you on your Twitter, which is at Ben Portnoy fifteen, or on your X page at Ben at, at B Portnoy <laughs> at B Portnoy fifteen, and of course with the uh, Sports Business Journal, you can read uh, Ben's stuff. Where are you off to this week? Home this week, but I'm uh, I'm headed to Starkville, Mississippi next week for the Egg Bowl. So really looking forward to that. Sounds great. Look forward to talking to you next week, and we'll talk more about uh, Texas A&M, that situation, and other things happening. I'm sure there'll be a lot going on between now and then. Thanks so much for the time. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. Ben. Ben Portnoy, the Port Authority, here on Sports Talk. 